You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, and today we are unfortunately without John. He's currently in my neck of the woods, New York, for his sister's college graduation ceremony. So congratulations to her, and I hope you're having a great time with your family, John. Hopefully in his absence, I could still put on a good show. We have a lot of interesting content to go over, and we will be joined by Kevin O'Brien later to go over his article about low Babbitt players. So you'll definitely want to hear about that. As for myself... I'm doing pretty good. My Mets are dominating the league right now. We haven't lost any of the eight series that we've played in, winning seven of eight and splitting the last one with the Braves. They just had a seven-run rally in the ninth inning in Thursday night's game to beat the Phillies. It was incredible. It's just been so fun to watch this Mets team, knowing that they're playing good baseball. Buck Showalter has made such a difference for this team. It's unbelievable. Plus the additions of Starling Marte, Max Scherzer, Mark Canna. Eduardo Escobar. It's just been awesome. As for my voice, it's still a little rough as you can hear and scheduling a surgery has been proving more difficult than I expected, but hopefully that will happen soon so that my voice can return to 100%. Before I cover everything from this week, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and you can send us your questions, comments, and concerns to our email thisweekplpod at gmail.com. We want to start using Twitter a bit more, and if our followers start to go up, we can start putting out polls, other content, and have more fun on Twitter, so make sure you go and follow that. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more, so make sure you go and follow us on those and leave us a five-star review. But let's get into the injury news and roster moves from the past week. Trevor Bauer of the Dodgers was suspended for two years, 324 games total, for violating MLB's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. He is a definite drop if you took a flyer on him late in your drafts. Drop him and grab anybody else. He will not be pitching this year, and I'm pretty sure you don't want him on your team. Joe Adele of the Angels and Josh Lowe of the Rays were optioned to AAA. Both of them can probably be dropped in a shallower league. In a deeper league, you might want to hold on to them. In a dynasty or keeper league, you definitely want to hold on to them. But if you're in a redraft league that's shallow, you can cut Joe Adele and you can cut Josh Lowe. Top third base prospect for the Twins, Jose Miranda, was called up on Monday, May 2nd. He hasn't performed great so far, going 2 for 17 with 1 RBI, but he was a beast in the minors. So if you're in a deeper league, keep an eye on Miranda. Another top prospect, this time a catcher, and for the Royals, MJ Melendez was called up on Wednesday, May 3rd. In 2021, Melendez hit 41 home runs across double and triple A, so if you're in a two-catcher league or want to take a gamble on some huge upside, scoop up Melendez in your leagues. Robinson Cano was DFA'd by the Mets. It was a bit of a surprise because we thought Dominic Smith might get sent down or we might send down a pitcher, but Sean Reed Foley was moved to the I.L., And Robinson Cano was DFA'd. He gets a large chunk of money for not having to play baseball. So kudos to him. Shout out to him. But Cano is no longer on the Mets roster. Another team can pick him up at some point for free. So he'll probably get scooped up by another team. But he is off the Mets. And if you roster him in deeper leagues, you can cut Cano. Mitch Hanniger of the Mariners was placed on the 10-day IL with a grade 2 high ankle sprain. 
He just came back from the COVID IL, got one at bat in, and then was placed right back on the IL. So my heart goes out to Hanniger because he had to come back from a tough groin injury a few years back, and he just can't catch a break. Chris Bryant of the Rockies was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday with that back problem that he's been going through. He noted on Wednesday that his back is starting to feel better, but he has yet to resume hitting. You can count him out for a return this weekend, and he'll probably return next weekend. Brandon Belt of the Giants, Mark Melanson of the Diamondbacks, Joey Votto of the Reds, Nick Senzel of the Reds, and Tyler Naquin of the Reds were all placed on the COVID IL. It seems like the Reds have a little bit of a breakout. As for the Giants and Diamondbacks, it's just Belt and Melanson, so that's more of a controlled issue, but all of those players are on the COVID IL. Jose Altuve of the Astros was activated off of the 10-day IL and has hit two home runs since being activated. He actually fouled the ball directly into his private parts and managed to avoid anything serious. I was super worried after watching it, but he was in the lineup the next day, so no worries there. Ryan Presley of the Astros was activated from the 10-day IL on Thursday, May 5th. He should jump right back into the closer role for the Astros. He actually pitched and blew a save the night he was activated, giving up a hit to Miguel Cabrera followed by a two-run homer to Jamer Candelario. He did end up getting the win, though. So if you picked up Neris in a saves league, it's probably safe to cut Neris because it's Presley's job. But if his velocity remains down or if he pitches poorly or gets hurt, Neris or Stanek are probably the guys to roster. If you're in a saves plus holds league or have the holds category by itself, I definitely hold on to Neris. He's been really good. Ramon Laureano of the A's is eligible to return from his PED suspension on Sunday, May 8th. He's worth stashing if you need some outfield help and want a nice power and speed combo. Luis Castillo of the Reds is expected to make his 2022 season debut on Monday against the Brewers. He's returning from a shoulder issue, but he looked really good in his minor league rehab stint. Castillo actually has a two-start week next week against the Brewers and the Pirates. I'd probably sit him for his first start back and start him against the Pirates if you're in a daily league. In a weekly league, I'd probably just choose to sit him. I'm usually a little bit more risk-adverse when it comes to a pitcher coming back from injury, especially a shoulder issue, so Luis Castillo is a gamble if you want to take that risk. Jonathan India of the Reds will miss at least another two weeks with his hamstring injury. Tyler Stevenson of the Reds was activated off of the seven-day concussion IL on Tuesday, May 3rd. He went two for four on Thursday with a home run and a steal, so get Stevenson back into the lineup in your catcher spot if you roster him. Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL retroactive to May 2nd with a bruised right hand. He got hit by a pitch last week and was supposed to just need a day or two off, but he's now missed five straight games and officially was placed on the IL on Thursday. Teoscar Hernandez of the Blue Jays was supposed to be activated off of the IL on Thursday, May 5th, but instead will play another rehab game in single A. He's coming back from a left oblique strain. Luke Voigt of the Padres and Kyle Lewis of the Mariners both began their rehab assignments on Tuesday, May 3rd. Expect both of them to return sometime soon. Luis Urias of the Brewers was activated from the IL on Tuesday, May 3rd after missing nearly a month due to a strained left quad. Since returning, he's 4 for 9 with a couple walks, 4 runs, a homer, and 2 RBI. He's only 56% rostered on Yahoo and has second base, third base, and shortstop eligibility. So keep an eye on Urias and pick him up if you need to fill one of those positions. And last but not least, 
Congratulations to Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers for becoming the all-time Dodgers strikeout leader. He passed Don Sutton, who had 2,696 strikeouts with the Dodgers, and Kershaw finished with a total of 2,700 strikeouts with the Dodgers after his start against the Tigers on April 30th, where he struck out seven. So big shout out to the future Hall of Famer on his accomplishment. Now let's recap what happened over the last week. Just a reminder to everyone, we pull most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the PitcherList website, which is PitcherList.com, of course. The Batter's Box and SP Roundup articles are fantastic resources to read each day to see how players performed, so make sure you go and check out the website and read those articles every day. But getting right into it, starting with the weekend, which was Friday, April 29th to Sunday, May 1st. Victor Robles of the Nationals went 4-for-5 four with a double, 3 runs, and 3 RBI on Friday. No, Robles isn't back. The underlying metrics still don't look good. There's just too much blue on his stat cast and pitcherless player page, but he's still probably worth a look in deep leagues. You might get lucky because he was a top prospect. He does have very good speed. You might get something out of Robles, but don't expect much. George Springer of the Blue Jays went 2-for-4 with two home runs, two RBI, and a stolen base on Saturday. Springer's doing really well in his second season in Toronto and is top 10 in runs, home runs, and RBI. Plus, side note is that he's been healthy for all of April, so knock on wood that this continues through the rest of the season. If you have a healthy Springer and you drafted him in rounds 4 or 5, you are going to get an extreme return. He is just too talented. Dominic Smith of the Mets went 4-for-4 four four with a double, a run, and three RBI on Sunday. On the day before rosters were supposed to get cut down, Smith delivered, helping the Mets beat the Phillies 10-6. As you know, Cano got DFA'd, and Dominic Smith is still on the roster and is going to get the bulk of opportunities at DH. He's probably going to platoon at DH with J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis coming in against lefties, of course, and Dom Smith against righties. He'll get in the lineup most days, but don't expect this to jumpstart his season and help him become fantasy relevant. If you're in deeper leagues, Dom Smith heating up is good for you, but in those shallower leagues, Dom Smith can just be someone that you put on your watch list. As for the pitchers, Corey Kluber of the Rays went six innings pitched, one earned run, one hit, no walks, and six Ks on Friday. Also, I wanted to note that Kluber went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, three hits, one walk, and seven Ks on Wednesday against the Athletics. Is he back? Probably not. He pitched against two teams who aren't particularly known for their offense right now, and he has the Angels and Toronto coming up next. However, keep monitoring the situation. If he's truly back, we'll see it in those next two starts. He's currently 58% rostered on Yahoo, and I think that he's worth taking a flyer on for the start against the Angels. If he's great again, you hold him. Maybe sit him against Toronto. But if he stinks, you cut him and you don't have to worry about picking him up for the start against the Blue Jays. But if he hits, if he does well against those Angels, Kluber might be back and someone that you want to roster. So keep an eye out on Klubot. Chad Cool of the Rockies went 7.1 innings pitched, 3 earned runs, 5 hits, no walks, and 4 Ks on Saturday. We're not going to do a victory lap here, but we did recommend Cool as a stream to you all on the last podcast. Actually, all three of the people that we recommended to stream, Chad Cool, Chris Paddock, and Drew Rasmussen, all pitched very, very good. So our streamer recommendations have been great. Stay till the end of the podcast to see who we recommend this week. They're not that great, just a little spoiler alert, because the options aren't that great. But 
Stay tuned for those because they're coming at the end of the podcast. However, Chad Cool did really well against the Reds. The reality is the Reds are just bad, even in Coors Field. But Cool has changed his approach a bit. He's going more slider heavy, and he's worth taking a look at. Hopefully, you've already picked him up from our recommendation, and you start him against the Diamondbacks today. And Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians went 6.1 innings pitched, 0 earned runs, 4 hits, 1 walk, and 7 Ks. This is why you start pitchers against Oakland, no matter how little faith you have in them. The A's are bad. McKenzie finally went 6 innings, and he also managed to give you a quality start with some decent ratios. Can we trust him? Probably not, and definitely not against Toronto on Saturday. But he's someone with a lot of upside, and if you have him on your team, keep a hold of him and start him in those good matchups. Now, moving on to Monday, May 2nd. Thanks to the Batter's Box article, Better Call Paul, from Mark Stubinger. Starting with the hitters, Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals went 2-for-3 with a home run, run, and RBI. Goldie has had a slow start to the season. However, in the last 10 games, he's had six multi-hit games and is batting 450 with a 650 slug. It's only going to get better for Goldie, who is an absolute stud. If you drafted him with one of those early rounds, you're going to be happy about having him. Travis Darnot of the Braves went three for four with two doubles and three RBI, just continuing to beat up on his former team, the Mets. Darnot has been a solid contributor to the catcher position this season with 10 runs, two home runs, 11 RBI, and a respectable slash line of 313, 333, and 478. He's also been healthy, which is just good for Darnot. He's always struggled with his health, but look for him to finish as a top 10 catcher if this holds up and he stays healthy. As for the pitchers, Ra Ra Rasmussen was the title of the article for the SP Roundup from Nick Pollock, which is just an awesome title again. His titles are always amazing. Starting with Drew Rasmussen of the Rays, once again, we recommended to stream him last week, and he's been great. I think that he's going to continue to do well for the rest of the season, so go get Drew Rasmussen if he's out there in your leagues. Admittedly, it was pretty easy to target Rasmussen against the A's. However, the stuff wasn't as great as we would expect with only six whiffs. For a guy who's supposed to have electric stuff, this start wasn't the best, but I expect greater things from Rasmussen moving forward. And lastly for Monday, Dylan Cease of the White Sox absolutely dominated with seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, one hit, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. Cease mowed down the Angels and provided an amazing performance. He somehow managed to get 11 strikeouts with only 11 whiffs, but he did get a lot of called strikes on his four-seamer and slider. Cease has been really good this year at striking guys out, not walking them a lot, and limiting hard contact, and you just love to see it. The one bugaboo for Dylan Cease was his control, so if he can keep the control under wraps, Cease is going to be a breakout starting pitcher this year. Moving on to Tuesday, May 3rd, thanks to the Batters Box article at Wit's End by Jim Chatterton. Starting with the hitters again, Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals went 2-for-4 with one home run, two runs, two RBI, and one walk. Witt finally got the monkey off of his back, hitting his first major league home run. You'll love to see it. He was quietly on an 11-game hitting streak before going 0-for-3 Wednesday against the Cardinals, but Witt is slowly putting it together. Add to the fact that he's already gotten four steals this season, you'll probably end up with a pretty respectable season from Witt when it's all said and done, but temper expectations because he is a rookie and there is always an adjustment period, but Witt is the real deal and hopefully he turns on the Jets soon. Next up, we have Josh Bell of the Nationals who went three for five with a home run, three runs, and three RBI. 
Bell is slashing 366, 464, and 549. His walk rate is higher than his strikeout rate. He looks really good. However, the underlying metrics don't look that great with a BABIP over 400. We'll talk about BABIP more in the interview later. He's got a lower hard contact rate than last season, and he has a relatively high line drive rate. Still, that doesn't mean the drop-off will be steep. Bell has been producing this whole season. I expect it to keep up, but maybe not at the clip that he's been currently doing so. And now for the pitchers. We start things off with a bad performance with Tyler Molly of the Reds. He went 3.1 innings pitched, 4 earned runs, 4 hits, 3 walks, and 2 strikeouts. The story with Molly has been to start him on the road and don't when he's at home. However, at Milwaukee, Molly fell apart. The velocity was up on the four-seamer, but it didn't equate to a better performance with half as many called strikes compared to his last outing. Molly gets the Pirates back-to-back in his next two starts, and if we don't see improvements in those, he's probably someone that you have to consider dropping. It's unfortunate because he's got a lot of upside, but it is not looking good for Molly. And on a brighter note, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Manoa finally got the coveted Aces Gonna Ace label on the starting pitcher roundup, and he deserved it with a dominant performance over the Yankees. The slider could still be a little bit better. The thing is nasty, but it could be better. And I think Manoa can definitely still improve, but just sit back and enjoy the show. Manoa is dealing. Also, check out Nick's breakdown of the pitching battle between Manoa and Aaron Judge on the Pitcherless YouTube channel. It's a very, very cool watch. Moving forward to Wednesday, May 4th, Thanks to the Batter's Box article, Rowdy with a Chance of Storms by Dave Swan. Of course, highlighting Rowdy Telez of the Brewers, who went four for six with two home runs, two runs, and eight RBI with one walk. I love Rowdy. I have him in two different leagues, a 15-team league and a 12-team league. Rowdy is crushing it. First of all, he's got a top 10 name in baseball right now, Rowdy Telez. Come on, beast name. And in terms of baseball, he's absolutely smacking the ball right now. He's got a 99th percentile barrel percentage, 100th percentile ex-woba and ex-slug, and 97th percentile in max exit velocity. He's recently been platooning and only playing against right-handed pitching, but he hits lefties just fine, and I'm expecting him to begin playing every day moving forward. He's been too hot for the Brewers not to. If you're in need of a hot bat in a shallow league, a corner infield player, Or if you play in a deeper league, grab Rowdy Tellez right now and reap the rewards. He has been awesome. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals went 2-for-4 with a home run, a triple, two runs, and three RBI. It's been a rough stretch for O'Neill, but he's beginning to show signs of life again. His stat cast numbers don't look great, but O'Neill is someone that has tremendous upside. I mean, look what he did last season. And once the ball livens up a bit and the weather gets better, I expect O'Neill to start delivering, but this was a promising showing from O'Neill. Lastly, Jose Abreu of the White Sox went 2-for-4 with one home run, two runs, and one RBI. Abreu is like the opposite of O'Neal. His stat cast numbers are off the charts, 98th percentile in average exit velocity and 99th percentile in hard hit percentage. However, he hasn't put up many stats for fantasy managers. I promise you, though, that will soon change, and this was just the start of it. As for pitchers, Austin Gomber of the Rockies went six innings pitched, Two earned runs, seven hits, no walks, and five strikeouts. He had 19 whiffs and a 35% CSW on 83 pitches against the Nationals. 
This was at Coors Field, and Gomber dominated the Nats. Gomber was once a highly touted prospect, but since his home stadium is Coors Field, it kind of caps his upside. He makes for a great streaming option against bad offenses, but he isn't someone that I want to dedicate a roster spot to, but good looks from Gomber in this start. Zach Wheeler of the Phillies went 7.2 innings pitched, 0 earned runs, 6 hits, 1 walk, and 7 strikeouts against the Rangers. This was a very promising start from Wheeler, mainly because his velocity jumped back up to 96.2 miles per hour, and his four-seamer was dominant. The command wasn't perfect, but it was enough to carve up the Rangers lineup. This wasn't vintage 2021 Wheeler, it's more like Wheeler of 2019 or 2020, but if he keeps this up and the command returns, he will return to being the ace that you drafted him to be. And lastly, moving on to Thursday, May 5th, for the hitters, Willie Adamas of the Brewers went 2 for 4 with 2 home runs, 3 runs, 4 RBI, and a walk. Adamas started off the year slow, but has really heated up in the past 2 weeks. He's tied for 4th in the majors in homers with 8, tied for 5th in RBI with 21, and he's tied for 8th in walks. He also has 21 runs, which ranks 3rd in the majors. For me, Adamas was the last shortstop in drafts that if I missed out on everyone else ranked before him, I'd feel comfortable with as my starter at the position. If I didn't get a Trey Turner or Bo Bichette or Tim Anderson or Francisco Lindor, Adamas was the only guy I really wanted before it fell off of a cliff. At the start of the year, I actually made a bold prediction that Adamas would outperform Carlos Correa this season, and currently it's looking like he'll do that with ease right now, so shout out to me, a little pat on the back, but... It's a long season to come. If you grabbed him late in your drafts, it's definitely paying off huge for you right now. Jared Walsh of the Angels went 2 for 4 with 1 home run, 1 run, 4 RBI, and also went 3 for 5 with 1 home run, 1 double, 2 runs, 4 RBI on Wednesday. Walsh was someone that I avoided in all of my drafts. I was much more in on first baseman like CJ Crone. Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, Joey Votto, and Luke Voigt that were going well after Walsh in drafts, but he's starting to heat up a bit at the plate after an 0 for 10 slump in the previous three games. His stat cast page doesn't look too bad either. It's not something that's eye-popping or that makes you salivate, but he's 85th percentile in average exit velocity, 75th percentile in barrel percentage, and 65th percentile in hard hit percentage. He doesn't walk a lot, he still strikes out quite often, but he'll always provide you with counting stats because he hits behind Ward, Trout, Otani, and Rendon. Other hitters that did well, Manny Machado and Ryan Mountcastle both hit two home runs. Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos both homered off of Taiwan Walker. Jose Altuve and Jeremy Pena both homered off of Tariq Skubal. And Randall Grichuk hit a homer at Coors Field. As for the pitchers, Aaron Nola of the Phillies went seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Mets. Nola threw 101 pitches, and besides serving up a solo home run to Starling Marte, looked dominant. He didn't end up getting a win because the Mets rallied for seven runs in the ninth inning and beat the Phillies 8-7, so yikes for people with Nola on their team not getting a win after a dominant performance like that. You drafted him to be your SP1, and he's doing just that. Lastly, Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels went seven innings pitched, no runs, six hits, no walks, and 11 strikeouts against the Red Sox. In Babe Ruth's oldest stomping ground, Fenway Park, Otani displayed greatness. He only needed 99 pitches to get through seven innings and strike out 11 Red Sox hitters. The Red Sox have a great lineup. 
Bogarts, Devers, Story, J.D. Martinez, and Otani made them look silly. He had a ridiculous 29 whiffs in this game, including 10 with his fastball and 10 with his slider. He also went 2 for 4 at the plate, but I mean, who cares? That's expected at this point, right? I mean, wow, Otani, insane. But that's all for the performances from this past week. Now I'll take a quick break, and when I come back, I'll be joined by pitcherless writer Kevin O'Brien to talk about his article on low BABIP hitters titled Just Bad Luck, Looking at Low BABIP Hitters. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and joined with pitcherless writer Kevin O'Brien about his article on low BABIP hitters called Just Bad Luck, Looking at Low BABIP Hitters. Kevin, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So before we get into it, Give us a little bit of background on your history with PitcherList. When did you start working for PitcherList? What do you do at PitcherList? And also tell us about your fantasy baseball background. How long have you been playing? What's your baseball background in terms of what's your favorite team? Just let us know all about Kevin. Yeah, so thanks for having me on. And, you know, I've been on uh, PitcherList for a couple years now. And and I have primarily write for the Going Deep team, but I also contribute to the Batter's Box column weekly on Sundays. Uh, you know, I, it, I've always been a big fantasy baseball player. I think I've probably been participating in fantasy baseball since my senior year in college, which was in 2009. And this, my first fantasy baseball league goes through MLB.com and we didn't even have pitchers in the league back then. It was just a <laughs> pitching staff that you drafted. So right, yeah, it's yeah. come a long way. So, but, um, but now I've been playing fantasy baseball for a while and, um, I'm based out of Kansas City, and so I write a, a blog on the Kansas City Royals at theroyalsreporter.com, but um, I also have a interest in baseball outside of Royals baseball, and that's how, how I got attracted to Pitcher List, and you know, I have a big uh, passion for you know, sabermetrics and, and analytics and data, and so that's why um, I was attracted to Pitcher List and why I contribute to the Going Deep section and Batter's Box section um, for Pitcher List. Yeah, that's a great section to write for going deep. And the batter's box is something we use regularly here. So thank you for your work at the batter's box because we pull from that all the time for this show specifically. So it's a great resource. And if you aren't already to the listeners, make sure you go and check out on the Pitcher List website. Check out the batter's box articles, the SP Roundup. All of those daily articles are really helpful for you in fantasy. Great information over there. So Kevin, about your article on low BABIP hitters, to start things off, one player you mentioned in the article who had a pretty high ADP is Kyle Tucker. Could you go into the metrics beyond Babbitt for him and explain why managers should still hold on to him? I mean, he's heated up as of late, but why should managers keep hold of Kyle Tucker? Yeah, Kyle Tucker was a really interesting one because I know I was invested in him very heavily. I'd say probably of like the nine leagues that I'm in, I probably have him in about four of them um, just because I just I really liked his profile. Um, just with the 30 home runs last year and the 14 stolen bases, thinking about that possible 2020 potential. Um, you know, obviously his BABIP is low. Um, when I wrote the article, I believe his BABIP was around, uh, was under 100. Obviously it's back up to more reasonable levels at 273, but that's still like pretty low. I mean, he's he's been a career, you know, he had a 304 BABIP in 2021, a 303 in 2020, he was just pretty league average. Um, I think the biggest concern, obviously, for a lot of fantasy owners is the is the batting average. You know, he's hitting under 250 this year. Um, and then this that power outage, you know, we, you know, he was he was kind of around a 260 to 244 ISO hitter. And now all of a sudden that's 180. And, that, and I think that's a really big concern, I think. And uh, but that being said, you know, I think you look at 
where he's at. Um, you know, the strikeouts are a little up, which is not good. He's about about striking out over 20% of the time, but he's still maintaining his walk rate. So the batter, the batting eyes there, um, you know, he's still posting a similar barrel rate. Like his barrel rate is, is only 0.2 percentage points lower than what it was last year. Um, so you kind of feel like, okay, when things heat up in the summer, when, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about the ball, but there seems to be a lot of the same metrics in that end. And then his expected stats seem to justify that. Like his expected slugging is almost 220 points um, higher than his regular slugging. His expected yep. weighted on base average is over 104 points. Um, his expecting bad average is about 80 points. So there's a lot there that's just saying, man, like it's just not been a good first month for Kyle Tucker. And so I, you know, yes, the, the early peripherals don't look good. Um, but with a lot of those things pretty stable, I mean, I feel pretty confident that, hey, like once things get going, you know, especially with his line drive rate, his line drive rate's higher than it's ever been. It's at 27.1%. Wow. Um, you know, so it's not like he's not hitting the ball. Now, granted, one of the things I do want and to see is lower that pop-up rate. He's about 19% in his yeah. pop-up rate, and his career average is 5.6. So um, I think that's something to be, pay attention to. But, you know, it's a bad month. Um I, I don't think we should be hitting any panic buttons just yet. Um, and so I, I would definitely, if I'm a, uh, have stock in Kyle Tucker, I am definitely keeping that stock at least for another month or two. Yeah. As of April 20th, when you wrote the article, I believe it was April 22nd, but as of April 20th, he actually had a 71 BABIP. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous. And like you said, sub 100, I mean, 71 is, is astronomically crazy, but Kyle Tucker is someone who has just, loads of upside he's someone that you took in the first or second round for good reason I mean his upside's tremendous could possibly go 25 25 30 30 it's unfortunate that he bats about sixth in the lineup of the Astros but that lineup is so good so he's going to get counting stats no matter what bring in those steals home runs Kyle Tucker is someone you definitely should hold on to like Kevin said there's no reason to panic about him and I think he started off slow last year too if you remember that I think he started off pretty poor last year as well and this year, all of offense is down across the board in April. So I think we're going to see more offense from him and the rest of the league coming soon. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of these Astros hitters have started off slow. And, and I think that we're starting to see some of those Astros hitters start to pick it up. And so, and I think Tucker's prime prime candidate for that. And like you said, we've already seen him in since April 20th make some considerable games. Yep. I like to really see what he looks like on May 20th. And I yes. guarantee you he's going to look a lot more like closer to his first round self. Without a doubt. And speaking of Astros, ex-Astro Carlos Correa, who's now a Minnesota twin, is another player you point to who has high line drive rates, but low contact rates. He's also dealing with a below ideal launch angle, 9.5 compared to 10 degrees. How worried should managers be that this will continue for Correa? I think one of the interesting things about I when I was kind of following up and looking up the data on Correa is he's hitting a lot of ground balls. I mean, he's, he's at a 52.3% ground ball rate going in today, according to fan graphs. He's only had one time in his career where he's had a ground ball rate over 50 or over. And that was in 2016, his sophomore year. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's ground ball to fly ball rates at two. It's never been really in that range over the last five years. Um, and, you know, when you, you combo that with, you know, yes, he's hitting the ball hard, but he's hitting a lot of ground balls. And and so he's we've seen Correa kind of get on a stretch 
um of where he's gotten hot again so once I, after i wrote our, my article like he suddenly got on like a great two-week stretch so that's been good in one case um but one of the things that was really interesting was kind of his plate discipline data and when you and how he's he's been at the plate you know he's he's swinging outside the strike zone 36.2 percent of the time which would be a career high and almost 10 percent higher than he had last year wow and his contact rate is down i mean his contact rate according to uh fan grass is at 73 percent which would be a career low okay and then his his csw is about 30 percent so that those are two kind of concerns that i have it's like okay the babbitt's going up when he's making contact it's productive for the most part, it's productive, but he's having a lot of misses, swing and misses. You know, he's lifting a lot more than he usually has. He's chasing a lot more than he usually have. He's making contact less, and so I think that we're getting kind of this these kind of outcomes where it's either I'm I'm hitting bombs, or I'm getting really productive contact, or I'm hitting ground balls, or I'm just not hitting the ball. Right. Yeah. And you know, and so, and I think that, and I think that's a big concern. And and what another really interesting thing is when you look at his batted ball, he's he's either pulling or he's hitting up the middle. He's not really going oppo. I mean, his career oppo hit percentage is 27.4%. And this year it's only at 9.2%, which I thought wow, was really? insane. Wow. Like, I, and I, I, I like, how do you, so I'd be really curious to see like, if he's going to make adjustments, start going to the opposite field a little bit more. I know that was kind of one of the things that made him such a good hitter in Houston was right. the ability to go to all fields. And he hasn't really done that in Minnesota. So I wonder if it's just, he's needing to make adjustments or, whatever it is, but I'd like to I really want to see what that oppo percentage looks like. Cause maybe that will kind of explain why he's will lessen that ground ball percentage, which has been so high to begin the year. Yeah, no doubt. Like we said before, the rest of baseball's offense is kind of down and it's a lot of different factors, whether it's the humidor and all of the parks, which is contributing to having a more dead end ball. That might be the issue. It could just be the weather who knows? There's so many factors that could contribute to having offense be down. And Carlos Correa, you know, he only has two homers and 11 RBI so far. He's batting about 265. He's walking still at a decent rate. His baseball savant page looks to be okay. His hard hit percentage is 94th percentile. Average exit velocity is 96th percentile. So Correa looks to be fine. It just happened to have a low start to his BABIP and I think it's crawling up now and I think Correa is going to rebound with the rest of the league usually for me any hitters that you take in the first 10 rounds like a Correa or a Kyle Tucker you just got to give them a little leeway especially for the first month because notoriously in baseball April is the worst month for offense just statistically speaking it is it's the worst month for offense so I don't really like to take so much into account this early on for these top tier hitters and Correa is one of those guys that just falls into that category for me. And I agree. And, you know, and I don't want to like make excuses too much for weather, but it's like, you're going from Houston, you're going from the American league West where it's either you're in California or you're indoors in Houston and you're going to the American league central, you're going to Minnesota, you're going to Kansas city, you're going to Chicago, you're, um, you're going to some of the coldest weather cities to start off. And, and I'm not saying that that's having an effect, but, you know, I mean, that's like the primary reason. But I don't think a lot of players like playing baseball in, in the Twin Cities in, in April. Like, I know I wouldn't if I was a player. So no, I, agree. I, I think there's a, I think there might be an adjustment. And I think once we kind of hit May or once we kind of hit June, I could see Correa kind of saying, hey, I'm used to my surroundings. Let's let's and kind of make those adjustments and hopefully in that launch angle, because that seems to be what's really holding him back. 
Yeah, without a doubt. That launch angle has to be fixed a little bit. The high line drive rates are just pretty high for him in his career. So if he could get back to flying the ball up a little bit more instead of hitting it on a line drive, I think Correa will see some good returns in Minnesota. But overall with Babip, when does Babip go from bad luck to a believable metric? You know, I think it's 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 really, I mean, again, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of wrote the post because I, I know that, I'll, I'll just be honest, like as a Kansas City Royals fan, like we've had two hitters who have been extremely like affected by like Babip, and that was uh, Whit Merrifield and Carlos Santana. Quick little pour out for my homie Adalberto Mondesi. I was super excited about him and losing him, so just pour one out for the homie. <laughs> uh, you know, I... I love Montessi. Um, I don't love him on fantasy ends just because as a Royals fan, I've seen him get injured so much, yep. but it's like, I, but I, I am always rooting for him. So this was definitely a bummer. Um, but you know, with Witt and Santana, you know, with Witt has always been a very, you know, obviously as a, as a fantasy player, he's always been very highly in demand just because of his stolen bases and his ability to hit for high average. And, you know, and Carlos Santana, if you're looking at a savant profile and looking at his percentiles, if you didn't see his traditional stats, you might say, hey, well, he's looking pretty good. And yet they were doing so poorly, um, you know, but I think it's there's a couple factors. I think one is kind of the shift. Right. And it's like and I know that's going to kind of go away. But like, for example, like some hitters are just really affected by that. And that really affects their BABIP. And I think Carlos Santana is a prime example of that. He's hitting the ball hard. He's 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 barreling the ball. But when defenses are shifted towards one side of the field so consistently i think it was like 97 percent of the time when santana was banned from the left side he saw a shift you know he's not going to be successful and, and and especially since he's not necessarily a guy that's going to be hitting the ball out of the park and playing at a home field like Kaufman, that's very big um and, and so i think that so that was kind of where i kind of found out it's like okay this is where we have to maybe take babbitt seriously and it's like you have to really consider this and this is going to be a metric that's not just like oh it's going to automatically go up to 300 because that's regression right um I, I think you have to look at some hitters and and so i'm looking at like pop-ups and like do how often do they hit pop-ups and if that if you're hitting the ball failing to hit the ball out of the infield well guess what like your babbitt's not going to really change you right know, yeah you, yeah definitely. you can because infield flies are just not going to be hits. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And so, so I think those are some things to look at. Um, and, I, and I think obviously when you're looking at velocity, like what is their exit velocity? Could that contribute um, to their BABIP as well? And if it's like, well, they're, they're going down, well, maybe the BABIPs won't, won't, uh, won't really automatically increase because they're not really getting that quality contact or, or, and so on. So those are just some of the factors I think that we, that we have to really consider. And I think if you're kind of corresponding that, then you'd be, are able to see like, okay, like this bad isn't just flukish. This is actually a, a trend of something long-term. And like I said, I think I, we saw that in Santana. We're seeing that with Witt a little bit this year, especially since his pop-up percentage is so high. And I think there's some other hitters there that if you look at those other metrics, you, it kind of backs it up. Yeah, and for anybody listening that doesn't know what BABIP is, because I know a lot of you probably aren't extremely serious in fantasy baseball or you're listening to this to catch up or you're just trying to learn more about fantasy baseball, BABIP is batting average of balls in play. That's what BABIP means. It's a statistic which measures how often non-home run batted balls fall for hits. So outcomes of singles, doubles, triples, outs on balls in play vary based on the talent level of the batter and pitcher, but also due to luck and the performance of the defense. It's a very useful thing to check to see if a player is getting lucky, if a player is not getting lucky, if a player is having good success. BABIP is something you can go back and look into that. So as we asked 
is it bad luck or a believable metric? I guess it does vary between player to player, right? I mean, that's what I would assume. Yeah, and I, I think it does. And I think it, it just it varies on the type of hitters. I think the higher the line drive hitters, um, if the more the, a hitter hits more line drives, like Babbitt is going to be a little more fluky, right? right. It's like line, line drives more, more often than not are going to be hits, but you're going to have those times where they don't. And so, you know, if you're looking at a hitter, it's like, well, they're having high line drive rates, but their BABIP is low. Eventually something's going to stabilize at some point. Um, I think if you have hitters with low line drive rates, that's where the BABIP might not fluctuate as a lot. Right. Um, if, if you, so if you're seeing a hitter with sub 20 line drive rates, they're, they're going to be fly ball or, fly ball or ground ball or or home run or ground out kind of hitters that's just kind of how it is you know and so i think that that's something also to keep in mind right so like hitters like whit merrifield for example they're if they as long as he's producing high line drive rates well he's gonna be he's you know eventually that's gonna stabilize but you know for hitters that don't have line high line drive rates like for example like max kepler well then the babip is going to stay consistent in terms of uh in terms of its being low year after year. Yeah, and what's great, you mentioning Max Kepler. Last year, I remember Max Kepler, who by all metrics should be a decent hitter, continuing to deal with low BABIP and low average in general. And Aaron Gleeman at The Athletic had a great article about how Kepler pulls the ball so much that he just gets destroyed by the shift, and he also has a high pop-up rate. With that being said, are there other metrics besides the three you list in the article that we could look to to get a full picture of why a player's BABIP is so low? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think those, as a, in terms of those bad quality, I think it's, I mean, I, with pop-up, uh, line drive, and I think it's at, at that point, I think plate discipline, I think, is also our big numbers. I, I think... Um, what, how are they making contact? Where are they making contact? I think is also important too. And and it's and especially like with with guys swinging outside the strike zone. I know it's not a perfect metric, but I do think I do think it, t- it shows that okay, if a guys are swinging outside the strike zone, you have less likely you're less likely to get quality contact, right? So right. like if you're less likely to get quality contact by swinging outside the strike zone, then that is going to probably affect BABIP. And and I think it especially maybe with guys on, on bad stretches. And so like, if a guy is, if a guy is constantly like, you know, swinging more than usual outside the strike zone, their BABIP is low. You kind of wonder, okay, are they going to get back to their normal approach and are they going to start hitting line drives again and and swinging at hit pitches they can hit? So I think those are also some things. And that's something I talked about in the article as well is just looking at those, where their, what their plate discipline looks like, what, what are their swing percentages um, because I think, especially, you know, if, if guys are also putting the ball more in play, if, if got, you have high swing percentage guys, they're putting the ball more in play. Well, then they're more likely to correct their BABIP than guys who maybe don't swing as much. Right. Um, and so, and, and, and there's exceptions to that rule. Like for example, like I know I had Tommy Pham, he had like a really low swing rate, a little, really low BABIP. Um, but you know, he, he ended up getting getting through that, and that was because he has such good contact rates, 80% contact rate, so that's how he eventually got back into his groove. Um, but, I mean, like a guy like Miguel Sano, for example, doesn't have a very – well, he's hurt now, but like <laughs> when he was healthy, it's like he had a low he had a low swing percentage. So those kind of guys are going to be less likely to correct their Babbitt because they're just not going to put the ball in play that much. Right, and I think personally for Babbitt – 
you can get a full picture too by how fast the player is too. That's another thing that affects Babbitt because the faster the player is, the higher your Babbitt probably is. I mean, someone like Tim Anderson constantly has an extremely high Babbitt, but a lower average. And that's going to happen when you're a fast player. You're going to be able to beat things out in the infield. And I'm sure Whit Merrifield also has a higher Babbitt than usual. I mean, not right now because of the line drive rate problem, but Usually, if you're faster, you'll have a higher BABIP. And if you're slower, you'll have a lower BABIP. But those are some metrics that you could look at in terms of why a player maybe struggles with their BABIP in terms of fluctuating so much. Yeah, and I, and I totally agree with that. And it's, and again, it's, BABIP always has to be approached to different hitters differently, like, like, we, like we've talked about. Like, I don't, like a power hitter, BABIP is going to be a much different kind of stat than it is for a speedster or a right. hitter that relies on, on line drives. And, and so again, like BABIP might not necessarily be the best indicator for a hitter like Max Kepler, because he's not that kind of hitter. Like he's not, he's not that kind of hitter. That's, that's um, going to be hitting a ton of line drives. He's kind of a hitter that looks to go yard or, or looks for big power and, or else he's going to pop up or, hit ground balls and so and and so i think that's also an important thing to look at and so i think especially with power hitters we have to always be careful when we're looking for fantasy players because we don't want to automatically think well they have a low babbit for a power hitter they're automatically going to get out of this funk you know you know i don't have the exact data but you know some of the research shows that that tends to be a little bit less of an indicator for are they going to get out of a slump or get out of a tough stretch than maybe another kind of hitter yeah, and I just looked it up as well. Whit Merrifield's Babbitt, notoriously high. Usually it's around 350, and his average is usually 280 to 300. So like we said, speed, power hitters, everyone's Babbitt varies depending on their profile and what kind of hitter they are. And it's something that you can look at, and it's not something that's an uh, end-all, be-all sort of thing that you look at and you're like, well, his Babbitt's high, he's a sell-high candidate or something like that. It's something that varies from player to player, and it's, it's good to draw from if you need to look at someone's underlying numbers a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be really interesting over the next year. And I think especially with this last year being in the shift, I mean, I think that, you know, teams are utilizing the shift more and more than they did a few years ago. And, and I think, and I think that's a big reason why we're seeing some of these Babbitt fluctuations for some hitters, some hitters that were once high average guys, not only not suddenly not so great average guys. And, And I think with next year, with the shift being kind of banned or at least modified, I think that's going to be a really interesting to see how BABIP is going to be affected. Cause I think, um, cause I think that could open up uh, more offense for those kind of hitters, those kind of hitters who put the ball in play and have speed. They're probably going to benefit a lot more because you know, they're, they're getting robbed on hits now and that might not be the case in 2023. Yeah. Without a doubt. The, the shift banning is going to change a whole lot of things. And we are, <laughs> we are going to see that Joey Gallo might be drafted one overall next year. If yeah, the, the shift yeah. gets banned, but yeah, but this article was published around two weeks ago. So since then, are there any signs of hope in the list of 15 players that you mentioned? Yeah, I think there is. You know, I, I've kind of looked up at that list and kind of seen where they're at. And and again, I think Correa is a guy that I would, you know, still have faith in. I, you know, I think, um, you know, a guy like Goldschmidt has been really interesting um, because his BABIP has actually skyrocketed since. I mean, now yeah. he's at 333. Um, my bigger worry with Goldschmidt now is the power. Um, and, and maybe that's one of those things. Maybe he's trying to like, Hey, I'm trying to focus on getting base hits instead of the power. And now that's going to come around now that he's there. Um, like I said, I think Kyle Tucker is, is a guy that's going to be, you can feel pretty confident in, 
Some of the guys that I would be worried about though is you know Marcus Simeon. Um, you know he was a yep. guy I wrote that had a was a had low BABIP, and you know it's still bad at two eighteen, and a lot of the batted ball stats aren't really promising. I mean he's you know if you look at Simeon where he's at, you know he's has a line drive rate of fourteen point one percent. His pop up rate's about ten percent. Um, you know he's not hitting the ball hard. Like if you look at his Statcast metrics, like he's his exit velocity, his average exit velocity is at 85. You know, that's that's only better than of that list, Trent Grisham and Jose Altuve, you know. So that's – so, I mean, Simeon's a guy that I, I would be really worried about. Um, you know, Brendan Rodgers is another guy that I would be kind of really worried about. And I think more, what worries me more with Rodgers is he has such a free-swinging approach. And so if he's not even really making good contact, then that's not good because right. the times because he's missing a lot of balls as it is. And now it's like if he's not putting quality contact on balls, then he's pretty much like a like a no-go at this point. And so um, – but, you know, I, I do think um, – obviously, Fam has, has done a good job bouncing yep. back. Um, and then I would say, you know, Adolisia – would be another guy to kind of be patient with if you haven't been like again his expected slugging is about almost 100 points higher his expected batting average is 166 point uh, points higher and his average exit velocity is at 94 so he's hitting the ball hard um just you know he's and he's has a good launch angle and you know i think he's just been one of those guys that's been affected by babbitt a little bit and he's the guy i could see heating up um in the next month or so. So he's a guy I would trust if you have, if you have some stock invested in him. Yeah. And for people who haven't read the article yet, definitely recommend go checking it out. But the top 15 lowest Babbitt fantasy hitters, when you wrote this article were Tommy Pham, Miguel Sano, Kyle Tucker, Carlos Santana, Jonathan Scope, Adolis Garcia, Brendan Rogers, Jamer Candelario, Luis Robert, Marcus Semien, Whit Merrifield, Paul Goldschmidt, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, and Trent Grisham. I personally am not worried about Altuve, Correa, Goldschmidt, Robert, Garcia, and Tucker. The others I would yeah. be a little bit more worried about. Fam obviously has come around. Garcia, I, I love for fantasy. He may not give you the best average or OBP, but he mm-hmm. just gives you counting stats on the regular. He could go 25-25 for someone that you maybe didn't even draft, that you picked up off of the waiver wire. So, I love Garcia, big into him. Goldschmidt's just a stud every year. Altuve has been a stud for as long as I can remember. Semyon is definitely the biggest worry, and it sucks because I think I had the max pick on him in TGFBI. I think I got him in the third or fourth round, and I was super stoked because obviously Mm -hmm. I'm not buying in on the 40-homer, 20-steal guy that happened last year, but I was thinking maybe 30 homers, 10 steals with a decent average and in a pretty decent Rangers lineup with Seager, Garcia, Lowe. I thought it was pretty good, but I don't know. Semyon's looking kind of scary right now. Yeah, he's definitely one. I've I just, like I like you said, like I kind of know, like, hey, the guy that we saw in Toronto last year, this is probably not him. But I didn't think he was going to have this big a drop-off for sure. Um, but, you know, another guy I'm also kind of worried about is Grisham. Um, yes, mostly oh, because... Time. Yeah, because he was getting so much hype, kind of seeing, oh, is this possible 2020 guy? And, you know, and he's getting killed by Babip. You know, he's he's as a 232 Babip right now. But then he's not really offering you a whole lot else. You know, he's his power is that he's got an 082 ISO. Um, 
you know, his strikeout rate is about 20, almost 28%. Yikes. Um, you know, it's in it also, he's not giving you any speed. He's got zero stolen bases and he's got 101 plate appearances um, and only one Homer. So, you know, he's kind of a guy that it's like Babbitt's hurt him, but it's like, he's not giving you anything else too. And, you know, and I really got to think that if you're have some stock in him, like it's, it's, it's it's pretty low right now, and I'm not sure how long you're going to be able to hold on to that without it really sinking your team on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, his best season was in 2021 where he hit 15 homers and stole 13 bases. In the shortened season, he hit 10 homers and stole 10 bases, and I think that's where a lot of people started buying the hype was in that 2020 shortened season when they saw, mm-hmm. oh, wow, in just X amount of games, he went 10-10. and 10. He's going to be a 25-25, 30-30 guy. People were blowing the smoke out his butt, to be honest, and I, I don't see it right now. I don't think that he's sustainable at all near that. Maybe he gets you a 10-10, maybe 15-15 if everything breaks right, but that's a big risk to take. I'm not very invested in Grisham. Yeah, and just and just where he was going, like an ADP, and it just seemed like it seemed like every draft that I was doing, Grisham was going higher and higher and higher. And and right now it's just like I think if you really invested in him like it's it's not looking good and Mm -hmm. and i and he's a guy that like simeon i'm just i'm worried about like i'm worried about what his outlook is without a doubt and right now for the fantasy players listening if you do roster trent grisham just looking at this list i would actually drop trent grisham if tommy fam is available in your league i would make that swap right now if that's a possibility for you because tommy fam's been heating up the reds are horrible but he is batting three for them, and Joey Votto will return. And at least there's two good hitters in that lineup. I guess three with India, but I would make that switch. Grisham does not look good. It's just not trending in a good direction either. So definitely worried about Trent Grisham. But, Kevin, that was a great time catching up on your article and talking about that. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it so much. And before you go, please plug away where people can find you on Twitter, any other social media Hey, thank you. And again, it was just awesome being on here and just talking about fancy baseball and Babbitt. I know it's not always something people want to talk about, but it's really important, I think, to understand some fancy hitters. And um, so I really appreciate it. Um, just for myself, uh, you know, you can find me at on Twitter at Royal Report Kev. So um, R and R and the K are all capitalized. So Royal Report Kev. Um, you can also find me at Pitcher List with the with the Batters Box column and the Going Deep section. Um, I should have a post coming out this week for Going Deep, so I'm looking forward to that getting published. And then you can also find me on my Royals blog at RoyalsReporter.com. So that's at RoyalsReporter.com. That's fantastic. Well, Kevin, thank you again for joining us. I hope you have a fantastic day, and thank you again. Hey, thank you, and have a good one yourself. Now let's talk about streamers for this upcoming week. We have done very well, as I said earlier in the podcast, on calling out pitchers to stream. If you've been listening to our podcast and streaming the guys that we recommend, you've probably done pretty well. This week, however, I'm not the most confident. I know I say this all the time, but streaming is a risk to begin with because these guys are not rostered for a reason. Sure, a few players do break out and pitch well, and you can roster them all season, but most of them are just going to hit gold every now and then, and suck for the most part in the other starts. So this week, I'm probably the least confident in this group of pitchers that we're recommending that I have been all year, just because they're all really not great pitchers, but they have great matchups. 
So first of all, starting with Zach Davies, he's on the Diamondbacks and he's rostered in only 2% of leagues on Yahoo. He is pitching on Saturday against the Rockies away from Coors Field. Davies just pitched five shutout innings with two strikeouts against the Cardinals, and there's no reason to believe that he can at least replicate that against the Rockies on the road with the Coors hangover in effect. If you need a guy who can get you a win, maybe a quality start, and you don't care too much about strikeouts or strikeout potential, Davies might be your guy to stream on Saturday. Next, we have Bruce Zimmerman of the Orioles. He is rostered in only 19% of Yahoo leagues, and he is pitching on Sunday against the Royals. Zimmerman's been quietly putting together a good season with a 1.48 ERA and an above-average K% and CSW%. He's put together respectable performances against the Yankees, Angels, and Twins, and he could be in line for a decent start against the Royals as well. They're not very good, but neither is Bruce Zimmerman. Take it with a grain of salt. He's pitched very well so far, so feel free to stream him against the Royals. And lastly, we recommend Michael Pineda of the Tigers, who is rostered in 12% of leagues on Yahoo. He pitches on Monday, and in our weekly segment of Who's Going to Punish the Athletics, we see Michael Pineda stepping onto the mound. Yes, he pitches against the Athletics on Monday. Pineda has only had two starts this year, and he's thrown 125 pitches, so there's not much we can go on. However, we do know that the A's strike out a lot, can't get on base, and are overall just bad which is usually a good formula for pitcher success, even if it's Michael Pineda. So Michael Pineda is a stream that we recommend because the athletics are bad. Now, in terms of ranking them, I would probably go Pineda, Davies, Zimmerman. It's tough. They're all really bad and really close. Davies is against the Rockies who are not bad, but they're away from cores and there's numbers to back up that the team doesn't do too well away from cores after they play a series at cores. Zimmerman is probably facing the best offense out of these three pitchers in the Royals, but they're not great either. And Pineda is just against the worst offense. So take it with a grain of salt. Once again, we always recommend to avoid streaming if you can avoid it. But if you need somebody, we recommend these three guys. But that's going to do it for the show. If you want to interact with us more, you can find us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL or send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. We haven't had many emails. We haven't gotten a lot of tweets. We need those numbers up. So please feel free to send us an email, tweet at us. We will respond. We will answer it on the podcast. So we always advise for you to chime in and ask us some questions. If you want to follow us individually, you can find John on Twitter at the John which is T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can find myself on Twitter at Regicidal, R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, please subscribe to this podcast or follow this podcast on wherever you listen to your podcast too. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else. So please give us a follow and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. And lastly, make sure that you go to PitcherList.com and sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. It's a great resource, a great tool, and you're definitely missing out by not being a part of Pitcher List Plus. But that's going to do it for me today. We'll be back recapping another week in fantasy baseball next week. And until then, later everyone. 